Hey, dickheads! Like a pink laser beam of truth beaming from San Diego, California, straight to your brain hole. We have a review of Total Recall. You will have to decide when it's over. Was it real or implanted in your brain by this podcast? So, (laughs) uh, today we're talking about Total Recall, which started as a short story called... We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, published in 1965. Yes, and this story won the Nebula Award. Uh, I don't believe this was Dick's first awards because he won a bunch of awards for Man in the High Castle. But uh, yes, this is an award-winning short story. And when I say short story, the emphasis there is short. It is a very short story. About how many pages is it, Anthony? Let's see. It's about about 17 pages long. Okay. Anthony and Larry both read this today. I guess we didn't introduce ourselves. We should introduce ourselves. Um, I'm David Agronoff. I'm Anthony Trevino. And Langhorn. Uh, Jay Tweed. Yes. And we're your hosts for this podcast. So um, we're going to be talking about this short story now. First, this is definitely one of the most celebrated short stories of Philip K. Dix, but it's weird because it is so short, and it comes... I mean, 17 pages not that short. It's not microfiction. Yeah. The funny thing is, I remember when we, before we did Minority Report, I remember that story as being shorter, and this one as being longer, when it was the opposite. Minority Report was quite a bit longer. Much longer. Yeah. We Can Remember It For You Wholesale was originally published in the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, which is you know, pretty much the top-of-the-line market. So this was a pretty big deal for PKD, considering where it was published and the reaction that he got. And I believe, I mean, he sold the film rights to this pre-Blade Runner. Uh, Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Sushet. Shusit. I don't Shusit. Know. Someone correct us on social media about the yeah. proper way to say this name. Yeah, they uh, were working on a script for Total Recall before they even did Alien. They were halfway through the screenplay for this and decided to write a monster movie, and they wrote Aliens. So this team, uh, yeah, two uh, pretty classic works of science fiction there. That little-known movie, Alien? The little <laughs> little movie that could. Um, this story starts off with a awesome opening line. I believe, Anthony, you can read us <laughs> this opening line. Yeah, the opening line of the story is great. <clears throat> he awoke and wanted Mars. <laughs> Nice. Right to the point. Right to that point of not wanting to live on Earth. But do you guys think Philip K. Dick really wanted to live on a different planet? Well, it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Almost every novel and story around this era ends with somebody Mm -hmm. ideal, you know, some idealized trip to a colony world or off world. Off Uh, planet somewhere. Yeah. He really had the idea that uh, other planets were better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the science backs that up as far as the ability for human beings to survive. But uh, anyways, we can remember it for you. Wholesale is the story of Douglas Quayle, who is a secretary, kind of just like middle management. He's a clerk. clerk. Yeah, he's He's like a government clerk. And he has this idea that he really wants to go to Mars. That's pretty expensive, going to Mars. So he sees an ad in a taxi. Before we get into this is different from the movie, but the taxis have like, they kind of have, they have an automatic taxi thing going on too. 
And there's a, uh, we really enjoyed how the taxi says hello to you. It says, hello, sir or madam. (laughs) No matter who you are. No matter who you are. Which I I, I thought was nice. It showed a little, uh, a a little forward thinking on, on Dick's part. Of course, then he talks about boobies, which is nice. (laughs) There's a really great line in here towards the end, um, where he, when he goes back to recall, Let's not, let, let us not forget where she says, Mr. Quayle, the girl said, although you are a minor clerk, you are a good-looking man, and it spoils your features to become angry. If it would make you feel any better, I might <clears throat> let you take me out. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh-huh. Quayle wants to go to Mars. I uh, can't afford it. So he sees this ad for Recall Incorporated, and it's spelled... Recal, like R-E-K-A-L Incorporated. I don't remember. Was it spelled that way in the movie? Yeah, it's yeah, Recall yeah, okay, with a K. Yeah. Recall with a, yeah. I mean, I just watched the movie, so <laughs> I should remember that. <laughs> yeah, so once he gets his, he gets there, this is the, the scene where the, they talk about, so basically what happens is that Recall, they, and we're gonna assume that you read this, if you haven't read the story, you've seen the movie, you get a, you have an idea of the concept. He, the, the scene that is the most like the movie in the book or where they're the same is his visit to recall where he has everything explained to him and, you know, that they're going to get, they're going to implant these memories of this trip to Mars and they're going to give him artifacts and things to make it, you know, seem real, like IDs, photos, those kinds of things. Little artifacts that he can find later on. That have yeah. been planted in his apartment, or what they call the conapt. Yeah, and so I underlined a, a line where it says, "Part that, was that a combination of condo and apartment?" I'm imagining it is. It doesn't really say too much about the apartment in the in the story, but there's a line here, and I underlined it. It says, "Part of the package we offer is such deep implantation of recall that nothing is forgotten," and I think that's really key and important to the concept. So. The concept is, is you're going to believe that this thing really happened to you. We're going to make sure that you believe it. We're going to have these physical items that are going to add to the story and to the concept. And then I, I thought it was interesting, too, on that page that McLean is the guy who's selling the recall. He says, you're not accepting second best. The actual memory has all kinds of vagueness. He says, with all its vagueness and omissions and ellipses, not to say distortions, they're second best. So he kind of implants the idea that recalls selling that our memories are better than the real ones. And that's it's, a, pr- it's a good pitch. Yeah, yeah. Because it's true, you don't always remember every detail of things. And if they're engineering your details, then you're gonna you're gonna know more. And here's the thing that makes that really interesting is because if they're implanting memories in you, that also sets up the question marks when we get to the what is real stuff and uh because they have they have such control and can make your memories so firm so so basically he he once they start trying to implant memories they discover that there's no space there to implant the memories because there's already uh some some memories of mars that exist in his brain they've just been suppressed and the concept for the whole movie is right there too. Yeah. And and from there, um, we kind of we get this idea where they are 
they basically come up with this whole like funky concept of in order to supplant that, we're going to come up with a more interesting memory. Right. Well, I think though he goes into it because he feels his life is dull and boring and drab because he's a mid-management government stooge like PKD always do. And they right, but decide- he sort of he sort of goes against that. How when so? He introduces this character that's super drab and everything, but then turns to out, out to not be such a dweebus. Right. Yeah. He's a he's a secret agent. He he is a secret agent. So they implant these memories. The whole thing starts. They realize they can't give him the memories right because he starts saying what had already happened when he's kind of half under anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And so they, at that point, they they want to they send him home, saying like and he's real upset about it. He, yeah, he feels ripped off. He, yeah, he's like, wait, I didn't he's even going to go to the Better Business Bureau. Yeah, he's going to write an angry Yelp review about Recall Incorporated. Yeah, he, yeah, he seriously is. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. And he goes back, and then what happens? Uh, there, first, well, first, his wife leaves him because he keeps asking her questions about, did I go to Mars or didn't I go to Mars? Because he has these conflicting memories grafted onto his, his, his mind, and she gets fed up and tired of him, and I think, uh, and she bails because clearly she doesn't like him. That is and the weakest part of the story, in, and, in my opinion. It's also one of the more different aspects of the story when compared to the movie, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and two guys are in his apartment waiting to... Basically, I think they're trying to arrest him. Yeah, they just want they want to arrest him. So and eventually they're going to kill him. They just don't want to kill him right there. Right. And he escapes and through <laughs> the, the best part of the book for me is he starts he realizes they can read his thoughts, but then he starts trying to talk to himself in hopes that somebody will hear him. They hear him, they make a deal, and he agrees to meet them back at recall. Yeah, he implants it where he wants them to go and hmm. Yeah, and and so then they come up with this plan of implanting um, an even more exciting past in his mind. An utterly ridiculous. (laughs) An utterly (laughs) insane one where he saved the entire Earth from invasion. An alien invasion. And that's why they have to um, give him this other identity to protect him because the aliens would come back. They'll come back as soon as he's dead, like if he's dead or... And here's the funny thing is eventually he's going to die. So if this was reality, like, you know. But then the same thing happens again. He starts saying things that relate to the memory they're going to implant in him. And everyone realizes that it's much like alien fantasy is actually real. And I think Larry said it best. The whole story is basically just a joke, right? Yeah, it's one long joke. Yeah. The punchline being the most ridiculous part turns out to be true. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and and basically the the whole story is a gag that that builds on the idea that you can't trust your memories if if they're if they have the ability to create memories for you, and so that's the whole idea of we can remember it for you wholesale. Um, it's a fantastic story. Yeah, it's a really cool story for the short amount of time that the short pages. There's a lot of cool ideas. And what's really neat about it is it, you know, you can see how it inspired a movie where they took the idea and blew it out into all kinds of other things. And so there is really great potential for a movie 
that came out of this short story. And, and, you know, a lot of the, the short stories have been turned into PKD movies, even, you know, the good ones, the bad ones, the you, minority reports, the, pay, the world. paycheck, even. Paycheck. Yeah. Great concepts that can be blown out. And, and to the degree of which they're turned into good movies or bad movies are, you know, all in the execution, but, you know, the foundation is here in this short story. It's a great short story. You can see why it won the Nebula Award for Best Short Story. And, yeah, it's really good. Look. Yeah, it's awesome. And it really only com- kind of comprises the first maybe 20 minutes of the movie. Right. Well, the the concept, you know, that he's been to Mars, that's all there for the right. rest of the movie. But you're right. It is basically just the... The first 20 or so minutes. first 20 or so minutes. And then it blows out into an action extravaganza. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. So let's talk about some fun moments in the short story. Um, I have a few scenes that I that I highlighted. Do you guys have anything, too? Or, um... No, go for it. Let's see what, what we got. So he goes to the police. You remember, the policeman said, your trip to Mars. We know all your actions today and all your thoughts. In particular, your very important thoughts on the trip home from Recall Incorporated. We have a teletransmitter wired within your skull, and it keeps us constantly informed. That's the part we were talking about earlier, where, you know, they're reading his thoughts. And I liked how the tell... Now, this is why I pointed it out. This is some of the pseudo-wacky pseudoscience that we talk (laughs) about. What do we call it on this podcast? (laughs) The wackadoo science. (laughs) Dick's wackadoo science. Someone, when we become a bigger podcast, make that a t-shirt. Right. Yeah. Uh, Dick's wackadoo science, a, telep- a telepathic transmitter with the use of a living plasma had been discovered on Luna. He shuddered with self-aversion, the thing inside him within his own brain, feeding, listening, feeding twice. Here's what's funny to me. There's living plasma on the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That they put in your brain and it's, I love the line, feeding, listening, feeding. <laughs> <laughs> so he's really obsessed with the idea that it's feeding off of you, so it gets your thoughts by feeding. I thought that was really interesting. On the same page, there's also... But, I don't know, I mean, like, the whole idea that there's, like, living plasma on the moon is goofy enough. But uh, <laughs> but the idea that they're just sticking it in your brain... But remember, we hadn't been to the moon. That's true. We were pretty close there. This was 1965 when this story came yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I have a part in here that I thought was kind of funny. So it's 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 when they're trying to kind of discuss what memory like he, when he's trying to bargain for what memories they could reimplant in him so he forgets about the whole thing. And he says, "Try it," he said desperately. "Get some of your top-notch military psychiatrists. Explore my mind. Find out what my most expensive daydream is." He tried to think. "Women," he said. Thousands of them, like Don Juan had, an interplanetary playboy, a mistress in every city on Earth, Luna and Mars. <sighs> Only I gave that up out of exhaustion. Please, he begged, try it. <laughs> what a le- <laughs> This guy sucks. He's talking about James T. Kirk. <laughs> yeah, ba- b- right? He basically wants to be captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. That, did I get that right? Yeah, the Enterprise? Yes. yes. Yeah, good, good, good tracking there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to be captain of the Star Warses. <laughs> so 
There's some fun on the next page over. There's some funny little like throwaway lines of different technology and things. He talks about some bodyguards armed with sneaky Pete guns. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Does what anybody know what those are? are? Yeah, what the fuck? Oh, are I sneaky? wanted to. I wanted to look that up. I think a sneaky Pete is actually a thing. I, I think you're right. I'll look it up. Okay, so yeah, that was interesting. So there's a line here where. In an instant, he had possession of the gun, covering the other, so he gets the gun. I'm not sure if he, like, so that they're trained over all these years to use it, but he just picks it up. He talks about Quail, like, going into a crowd to hide, and he says, a mob of peds, which is funny, hurrying along the runnels. I don't know if you noticed that. But yeah. So yeah, sneaky... Well, he uses runnels, like, three times in that story. So a yeah. sneaky Pete gun is basically what... Kind of just looks like a Glock. I don't know enough about guns to know what the differences are, but it's pretty right. much it's pretty much just a pistol. It's okay. like a small pistol. It's got a really dumb name, though. Okay. <laughs> um, on a park bench alone, he sat dully watching a flock of perverts. Whoa! Wait, flock of perverts. Wait a minute, David. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Sorry, a flock of perverts. <laughs> Oops. A flock of perts, a semi-bird imported from Mars' two moons capable of soaring flight, even against Earth's huge gravity. The idea that there were birds that lived not on one, but two moons, the same bird lived on two different moons of Mars, is pretty shitty science, too. <laughs> Do the perverts live on Mars, <laughs> per- too, perts, David? Sorry. Perts. Um, yes. A flock of perverts. A flock of perverts. Well, that's that has to do with the part you were reading. But, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, the, the science of the idea that there were birds from two different moons of, of, uh, Mars. I mean, the fact, I don't think Phobos, uh, has anything close to an atmosphere. So, so what you're telling me is there's no birds on, there's no, there's no, well, as far as we know, as far as we know, there's no birds on Mars and it's kind of a ridiculous concept, but, uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah. That was another thing I, that was weird. And then, did you think? Did, okay, which one did you want to do at the end of, after you finished the story? Did you want to give the story a rim shot or a sad trombone? <laughs> I think you meant rim job. Or no, did you really no, wait? No rim shot. <laughs> did not mean rim job, and not rusty trombone. I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> did you want to give it a rim shot? You know, but um, bump. Or did you want to give it the sad trombone? Wah, wah, wah. Well, I'm going with sad trombone. See, I would have. I I want to give it a rim shot because uh, I thought it was a great joke. Meh. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely uh, hitting the drums for this. I think it's a good story. I think the part with the alien invasion was a little was super weird. But it's supposed to be so outlandish that it would never happen. That's right. Sort of what makes it funny is that you know they they've already uncovered he's a secret agent, but then to come to find out that he's also the protector of the entire planet yeah, so, is pretty ridiculous. So in that line, it says, your fantasy is this. You are nine years old, walking alone on a rustic lane. An unfamiliar variety of space vessel from another star system lands directly in front of you. No one on Earth but you, Mr. Quayle, sees it. The creatures within are small and helpless, somewhat on the order of field mice. Although they are attempting to invade Earth, tens of thousands of other ships will soon be on their way when this advance party gives the go-ahead signal. And I suppose I stopped them, Quail says. 
experiencing a mixture of amusement and disgust. Single-handed, I wiped them out, probably by stepping on them with my foot. No, the psychiatrist said patiently, you halt the invasion, but not by destroying them. Instead, you show them kindness and mercy, and even, even though, or even through, or though by telepathy, their mode of communication, you know why they have come. They have seen such humane traits exhibited by any, they have not seen any such humane traits exhibited by any sentient organism. And to show their appreciation, they make you, uh, they make a covenant with you. And they won't invade Earth as long as I'm alive. Yeah. That. So now they can't even kill him because. Right. Now he has to stay alive. Exactly. Right. And then he says, uh, and then McLean, uh, when he's talking to him, he says, this has nothing to do with Mars or Interplan single-handedly stopping an invasion of the Earth from another star system. He shook his head at that. Wow, what a kid dreams up. Uh, Not by force. It's sort of quaint. And so, like, they just kind of think it's silly, but it's the idea. They of, also think it's really egotistical. One of yeah, the guys, the, even the cop does. yeah, the cop is like this fucking guy. Yeah, <laughs> do you believe this mook? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the story is good. It's in the short time that you have. It, it you know, there's not a lot to it, but I think it's worthy of the Nebula Award and just I, for, for I, the launching point that it provided for for the movie is reason enough yeah it it makes it worth it just for that but the uh i don't know i think the booby part could have been left out so the secretary yo you mean the fact that she always has different colored Colored body paint on every time he shows up yeah but then i wouldn't have gotten that sweet line where she's like um you're really attractive (laughs) so could you not be mean because it makes you less attractive right (laughs) Eh. yeah i um he's married and she still wants to go out with him Oh, Larry, when has that ever stopped people in the, in, in general? Well, in general, n- never. But in okay. stories, usually. Mm. We'll, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> okay. So, so overall, we're, we're thumbs up on Total Recall. Or, I mean, uh, we remember it for you wholesale. We can remember it for you wholesale. I'll give it one thumbs up. One thumbs up. I'll give it two thumbs up. I think it's. Um, yeah, I'll do. I'll do two thumbs up. I like it. Yeah, I don't love it. I've always enjoyed this story, though. So. All right. So the movie. Bum, um, bum, bum. Okay. So the history of this movie started in the seventies. Apparently, the film rights were sold to uh, Dan O'Bannon, and Dan O'Bannon, for those of you, he's most famous for having co-written. Who've lived in a hole. Yeah. Watch what you say. <laughs> About Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, Dan O'Bannon was, his first project was acting and co-writing Dark Star with John Carpenter. Space Surfing. That is a great movie. Um, They were film students, and around that time... David doesn't like Dark Star, Larry. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Dark Star. Wow. um, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So Dan O'Bannon, around that time, became writing partners with Ronald... Shusit. Shushit. 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 Uh, we're not sure how to pronounce his name. Please help us. <laughs> please. Uh, help. Please help us. Uh, but they became writing partners, and the first two projects they worked on were they bought the film rights from Philip K. Dick directly while he was still alive. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And they actually got a chance to talk to him, meet him, according to everything that I've read. So they bought the film rights 
for We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. And they started writing a script, which they called from the beginning, they called it Total Recall. And at the same time, they were working on, on the script for Alien. Dan O'Bannon went on to uh, direct Return of the Living Dead. and I think Return of the Living Dead is only directorial credit, right? No, he did a H.P. Lovecraft movie, oh, too. Oh, oh, oh. I can't remember the title. Was it The Forbidden? No. No, no. It's, but I've seen I've seen the working the work print of that. I saw it at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. It's actually pretty cool. What the fuck? It would be amazing if we had something that had all the information in the world at our fingertips. <laughs> yeah, right. He also um, wrote Life Force. Yes, he did write Life Force. That's right. So Dan O'Bannon and I met Dan O'Bannon once at uh, Lovecraft Film Fest, and I, oh, really, yeah. Either I met him, this is going to sound really silly. I either met him or his wife. I can't remember. But I, I remember they showed his Lovecraft movie one year, and I know they at least they did. They had some kind of video introduction too. But yeah, he gets lots of film credits for just having created Alien. He did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Some stories in Heavy Metal, Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder was uh, weird. The Resurrected. Movie. Yeah, the that's the movie. Yeah, yeah, that I saw the work print of, which is really interesting. I think it also has. Chris Sarandon, who people cool. will know from Fright Night. Yes. And uh, Invaders from Mars, he wrote the screenplay for that for Toby Hooper. They did that and Life Force back-to-back for Canon Films, which is kind of cool. Yeah, Dan O'Bannon did a lot of stuff. And they... He's well-loved in this group, at least yeah. on yeah. my end. Yes, yeah. We really appreciate Dan O'Bannon. And so he he was really involved in this in the production of Total Recall for many, many years from the 70s. It took till 1990 when the movie came out. However, we're going to argue very vehemently that Total Recall may have been released in 1990, but it's an 80s movie. Oh, it's 100% an 80s movie. (laughs) It's an 80s action movie. It has 80s hair. It has 80s 80s lighting, 80s set dressing, violence. 80s Ronnie Cox, 80s (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger, 80s 80s Sharon Stone. Yeah, it's a very 80s movie, regardless of the fact that it technically was released in in 90. In 90, yeah. It's an 80s movie. But the history of the movie goes back to the 70s, and several directors were connected to it for a long time. The script bounced around. There was... Many, many drafts of the script done by many people, but the most interesting one that almost happened a few years before that the actual movie happened was David Cronenberg was attached to direct it. Well, and, and some of the elements actually are in the uh, in the movie, correct? Yes, I think uh, Quato might be the most the most David obvious. Cronenbergian thing in that movie. Yeah. So David Cronenberg possibly in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So we're assuming that everybody knows who David Cronenberg is. David Cronenberg is the director of Scanners, Videodrome, The Brood. Yeah, at this time. And he was Naked lunch. He was going back and forth between doing the fly, which he eventually made, and Total Recall. And he actually dropped off of the fly to do Total Recall and spent a year working on Previsualization, concept art, and wrote tw- apparently twelve drafts of the script. We call that pre-production, David. Yes. So yeah, he worked <laughs> on it for a long time. So th- somewhere out there, there's twelve versions of Total Recall written by David, David Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Wow, oh, man! If I, I I would love to maybe not see that movie, but at least read the script. Right. For it. No, I like the movie that we ended up with, but I. <laughs> 
there's a part of me that really thinks that I would have that David Cronenberg making a Total Recall movie would have been my fucking jam. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because well, he hasn't made. uh, Is there anything Cronenberg made that is like just truly awful? A Dangerous Method. That movie's garbage. Wait, which movie? Which one is that? Yeah, that's the one about Freud. Freud and Jung. Oh, garbage. Uh, and I'm not too hip on Cosmopolis either. Cosmopolis is kind of slow, but garbage. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not his best. Uh, but David Cronenberg is a great filmmaker. Who's especially at this time, he was at the peak of his game. Right. He did really amazing science fiction with The Fly, and I think he would have brought like a body horror sensibility to this because he was really obsessed with those body issues. And I mean, it's in full effect as in the character of Quato in this. Who yeah, is definitely it, not in the short story. Yeah, no. And so, David Cronenberg <laughs> brought to it uh, some concepts that I think that they still kept in the movie. But I think he would have made the whole "what is reality" thing a little bit more intense. Hit, according to everything that I read, that his uh, he had wanted Quail to be played by William Hurt. Which is an actor he worked with a couple times. Makes sense. Yeah. And that would have been a very different movie. <laughs> from, oh, yeah. From the one that we got with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Playing and I, not Quail, but Quaid. Yeah. All the scripts, by the way, his name is Quail, just like the, um, including the, the, the shooting script up until the point that they, they started filming the movie. The shooting script still said Quail throughout the script. There's a part of me that wonders that if Cronenberg didn't drop off the project as soon as they said, hey, what about the guy who played the Terminator (laughs) and Arnold Schwarzenegger? And I think he – I assume Cronenberg was like, nah, dog. (laughs) Yeah. That's not my jam. I'm not doing that. Which is exactly what happened when uh, Ridley Scott had been for years developing a version of I Am Legend and he was – told that he had to have the only way that they would make it is if he cast Arnold Schwarzenegger and he dropped off of that too. So, and And then later they made it with Will Smith. Right. right. But, uh, I, I would, if I I was a director, I'd rather do I am legend with Will Smith than, than Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then look, I got no problem with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Will Smith wasn't the problem with that movie. Yeah. No, all those CGI vampires were though. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I'm, Personally, coming into this movie, I love 80s action movies for the sheer stupidity of them, the just the fun of it. So I actually enjoy Schwarzenegger movies from this era. I like Schwarzenegger. I think, I don't know about everybody else, but I personally am a huge fan of Conan the Barbarian, the first Terminator, the second Terminator. I, I like Raw Deal. I personally am a fan of Commando. So I was not turned off by the concept of a Philip K. Dick movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not turned off by it, but I also saw Total Recall way before I ever got into Philip K. Dick or read the short story, so Hmm. I have no grounding for that. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure if I read Philip K. Dick before then. I know I was a junior in high school when when this came out, so I remember seeing it in the theater uh, the opening weekend. And I think I went to see it based on the fact that one of the guys from that wrote Alien wrote it. Yeah. Because they, they promoted it as from the producers of Alien and the director of RoboCop. Yeah. And, of course, Schwarzenegger was already a big star then. He'd already done Terminator, Predator, all that. So 
Well, I was I was eighteen, and uh, I think I I had read Androids, and that's it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I had read. I might have read Androids because of Blade Runner for sure. Right. Um, but I don't know that I'd read this story. That was like it, back in the eighties. That was required high school reading if you wanted to be a nerd. Yeah, well, there was the Delray edition of Do Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep that had Blade Runner on the cover, and right. I think a lot of us had that. We all had that. Yeah, <laughs> and assumed that it was a movie first, and then was like, what is what? this? <laughs> <laughs> so Total Recall, once it got into production, David Cronenberg dropped off, and Arnold had already been trying to work with Paul Verhoeven, he had been close to playing RoboCop, and uh, according to what I read, the reason why they couldn't lock down RoboCop was that they just could not get a costume for Big Arnold. <laughs> I- I'm dead serious. That really? is supposedly the reason why. You are too jacked for this robot suit. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, we well, that's got... that's a good thing. Yeah, because Andy Weir, or Andy Weir, <laughs> and... Um, um, Peter Weller? Peter Weller. Not the author of The Martian. <laughs> Peter Weller, who, by the way, is a professor in, of history, which is weird. He was great as RoboCop. RoboCop turned out awesome the way that it was. But Arnold wanted to work with Verhoeven again. So when Verhoeven was brought in to do Total Recall, or it may have been Arnold attached to it first. He was attached to it. David Cronenberg dropped off. I think he brought Verhoeven in. What a great combo. <laughs> Didn't you tell me that, uh, what's his name? Uh, Patrick Swayze was yeah. going to be so, taking the role? Yeah, briefly after Cronenberg dropped off, Patrick Swayze was attached to the role, which actually, I could I could see a Patrick Swayze in this era because, you know, Patrick Swayze was pretty awesome in Point Break. A year later, he was pretty awesome in Red Dawn. Well, so, here, here's always my problem with Patrick Swayze in, in action movies. Is that when he's doing a fight scene, he still looks like he's dancing. I think that's just because you've got dirty dancing in your head. I don't think that's the case. You watch it, watch him do a kick. He looks like he's about to do a, a whatever you call it. One well, of them fancy ballet moves. I'll back, I will back Patrick. Well, yeah, if you're talking about Roadhouse, which is not, I think, one of his better action movies. But Ooh, David. You're going to get hate mail on that one. Uh, well, no, I'm not saying I don't like Roadhouse. I like Roadhouse. <laughs> it's just corny. And there's nothing wrong with an action movie being corny. I, I think This one is. Yeah, this one is corny as hell, and I loved it. I think, Swayze, if you go back and you watch Red Dawn, which I have recently, uh, Swayze is pretty badass in that movie. And I, so I, I back Swayze. I think Swayze would have been a good and different Total Recall. And, uh, you know, but he, he's played the, he's played the big tough guy roles. So, you know, he could do it. So once Arnold bought Verhoeven on, the movie went totally fucking bonkers. <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the things that I think we all appreciated about Total Recall and watching it now is that one of the reasons why it holds up how many years later is because the movie is just totally insane. Yeah. If, if you just look at all the different elements, it it has the same core as the short story with the uh, the scene with McLean and 
uh, Quail. Oh, and we should talk about why they changed the name too. So in the movie, <laughs> if, if you're confused because you're like, wait a second, his name is Quaid. In the short story, the his name is Quail. Doug Quail. And at the last minute, a after all the scripts were turned in, they changed the name to Quaid. Uh, because at the time in the United States, for all you youngins, we had pre Vice President Dan Quayle, who... Oh. Who was famous for uh, teaching a child in a classroom on camera how to misspell potatoes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, he was, was trying to correct the child for spelling potatoes correctly by <laughs> spelling it incorrectly. Yeah, Dan Quayle was, like, mercilessly mocked for being a complete idiot, and he's from my home state of Indiana. Go Hoosiers. Yeah, we're super proud of Dan Quayle. <laughs> they did not want to name his character the same as the idiot vice president at the time. That so, makes sense. So for that reason, we have, instead, you know, we don't have him saying, if I'm not Quayle, then who the hell am I? We have him saying, right. if I'm not Quayle, then who the hell am I? And I can't believe we made it this far without me imitating Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah. yeah. And fucking Schwarzenegger is so good in this movie. Well, we should we should talk about the first line of the movie. Because uh, the first line of the movie is... Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. Schwarzenegger does his, like, Schwarzenegger in pain scenes so much in this. Because if you watch a lot of Schwarzenegger movies, you know there's always scenes where he's like... Ah, <laughs> he does a lot of flailing in this movie. Yeah, he does. And this movie, there are two things that are really significant: is there's a ton of Schwarzenegger in pain screams, and there's also a ton of Schwarzenegger getting kicked in the rocks. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, uh, mostly by Sharon, Sharon Stone. Stone. <laughs> yeah, she must have really enjoyed that apparently because she kicked the shit out of him in the balls throughout the movie. That happens a lot. But the major – let's talk about the differences between the the story and the movie. So we have the same basic setup with uh, I want to go to Mars <laughs> and Quail. Instead of being a mild-mannered secretary, you can't take one of well, the – Well, I think he's a clerk. I don't think he's a secretary. Yeah, yeah. he's a clerk. He's a clerk. He's... Um, but middle management guy, you can't have him – it would look weird if you have one of the biggest human beings on the planet, a giant <laughs> muscle man playing uh, a clerk. mousy clerk. Right. So they made clerk. him a construction worker. <laughs> right. And there's a scene of him with his jackhammer and you get some muscle shots. This still being basically the 80s. I mean, it was filmed in the 80s. Uh, Schwarzenegger was still stacked. Um, so you wanted to definitely have some muscle shots. You get that in the beginning with him and Sharon Stone in bed, like right off the beginning and he's dreaming of Mars, which is, you know, very much like the short story. It starts off the same way as the mm -hmm. short story. And then he wants to go to Mars. You had the whole scene with recall with McClure. You got that. That is all the same. And the setup is basically the same. Well, except his, his wife in quotation marks is not kind of the angry, shrewdish person that she's made out to be in the short story because yeah. later we find out that his wife isn't his wife. She's a spy. She's a spy implanted with yeah. memories. Yeah, of course, now, that's the whole thing is throughout the movie, like, the what is real thing is really well done because there's layers upon layers of the conspiracy. You know, did did 
Quaid implant these memories himself? Did he take these memories from himself? And I think that O'Bannon and Sushit or Shushit, Shushit, whatever, it doesn't yeah. matter. I think <laughs> someone the, will inevitably correct us on social media. It's yeah, fine. the writers uh, did a really good job of taking the bare bones of the concept and blowing it out and making it into a very PKD style story, but also combining elements that, you know, we've already seen in other uh, PKD works. And once he gets to Mars... All, all structured ra- around a typical 80s style action movie with all the regular action movie tropes. Yeah. So they did, they really did make two things at once. They made an uh, an 80s action movie and a PKD story, and they melded them really well together. They took the concept of the PKD story and then put it into an 80s action Yeah, the mutants concept. were fantastic. But one of the major differences is that Quay does actually go to Mars, um, and not just at the end. Um, no, he definitely then, goes to Mars. Yeah, he's got to get to, got to, get to Mars, <laughs> get your ass to Mars, that's what it was. So he does go to Mars, and once he gets to Mars, there's a whole storyline with... The colony is uh, dependent on air, which is controlled by the by evil Ronnie, Ronnie Cox. Evil Ronnie Cox in the Max von Sydow <laughs> role of this movie, and Ronnie Cox plays like the kind of overarching governor who's controlling everything, and he works for. Does he work for the corporation or does he run? The, he he He's set the up head of the corporation. He is the, the corporation. Whatever yeah. they're called, the agency the- that set up the colony. And yeah. yeah, and so he's withholding like air and supplies from these mutants. And one of the times where the science was actually close to correct, there was this whole subplot here in the movie about these mutants that have grown up on the colony on Mars and they are, they've been exposed to so much radiation on the surface of Mars that they have all these kinds of physical disabilities and, and, and mutations. they're also precogs apparently. Yeah. And they, a lot of them are. Yeah. And in a very Philip K. Dick way, they, they are precogs. They can see things and know things and, so that was kind of similar to the world Jones made in uh, in little ways, right? And well, it's, it's certainly, you know, the the people writing it were aware of Phil K. Dick's work, yeah, enough to know that this would be right in line with with his storytelling ideas, yeah. And so, for those of you who who aren't space nerds, um, Mars <laughs> um, in nineteen ninety. Our knowledge of Mars was not as vast as it is now. We've got a bunch of robots on the surface of Mars, and we do now know that there is so much radiation on the surface of Mars that it would be practically impossible for human beings to live on the surface of Mars. If we were going to colonize Mars, we'd have to, like, burrow underground and live underground because the radiation is so intense on the surface. So for that reason, that is actually kind of similar, you know, kind of actually good science in a weird way unintentionally <laughs> now that being said like they you know it could be explained a way that some people are you know inoculating themselves or the people with money have the ability to inoculate themselves on the surface and right regardless anyways so we have this mutant storyline and that's really cool because you know we definitely like that it that even though it is not from the story it it has pkd themes so as dickheads we appreciate that but there's other elements too. I think 
the way Mars looked in the movie had a real like 50s, 60s pulp feel to it. It um, looked like the cover of one of those ace doubles. Yeah. yeah. That we're so used to seeing Dick's books paired with. Right. So I think we, we all really appreciated that aspect of it. And I think that for that, in that way, they were definitely honoring PKD's memory with the way they did the movie. Let's, let's talk about some other aspects of the movie as a movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger overall, how, how, how did you guys feel about how Arnie did in this movie? I thought he he actually did one of his this is one of his best performances. He's not much of an actor as it stands. But well, uh, in this movie he he played two separate parts and I think he he played them different, different enough. Yeah. that it mattered. You know, well, you could see you could tell they were different people. And there's definitely roles where he's embodied something inhuman, for example, in Terminator, I think he did a great job mm-hmm. of of being the robot killing machine. Yeah. And he was a great barbarian in, in Conan. And so he's had performances. Uh, later in his career, I think he's done, like, he recently did a zombie movie a couple of years ago called Maggie. Maggie. Yeah. Did, have you seen Maggie? I have not. It's on my list. <laughs> yeah. He's really good in that. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but he's, it's worth seeing to see Arnold's performance because. It is really heartbreaking, like, movie, like, because he brings it. And if he didn't bring it in that performance, it wouldn't work. Right. So Better um, than Twins? Yeah, not <laughs> quite as good as Jingle All the Way. Probably not as good as Junior, either. Right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh. I'm being dead serious when I say Jingle All the Way is his best comedy. I like Jingle All the Way, so. Yeah. I've never watched that movie. Uh, so uh, you're the minority report here? Yeah. Because we both like... Jingle all the way. It's got uh, Sinbad. Yeah, dude. Oh, Jake, wow. And Jake Lloyd. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> see, now you want to see it, right? Right? Uh, if Am I, I right? needed any more reasons not to see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jingle all the way is damn funny. We're not anti-Schwarzenegger here. I think we all liked him in the movie. We think he did a good job. I yeah, think- I'm not. I mean, he's Arnold, right? I grew up with him being in these roles, so he's always going to be Arnold. He's not... And I've never seen him kind of immerse himself in a role to where I felt like I was watching a character more than I was watching Schwarzenegger. Yeah. But yeah. he's much like someone someone so, similar to Will Smith. He's charismatic enough and he's endearing. I like spending time with him. Yeah. And Hauser, who is the... You know, he was Hauser and then they implanted the Quaid memories in him. Which provides the awesome line of, if I'm not Quaid, then who the hell am I? <laughs> um, you know, because look, you have to accept a certain amount of camp with like this crazy huge Austrian guy playing any role besides a crazy huge Austrian guy. Yeah. But at the same time, like when Hauser's on the screen and he's talking to him, you can tell it's kind of a different person. And I think it's a different performance. And, you know, he kind of plays it in a really good way. There's a hilarious scene where Hauser and Ronnie Cox, like, basically high-five each other right. on camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, one of the most ridiculous things in the movie, but awesome. And for those who enjoy silly movies, that's a really great scene. Well, uh, and that that's Paul Verhoeven's oeuvre, right? It's just over-the-top craziness. Well, yeah, and let's... 
And but there's all kinds of really cool smaller performances. We we've already talked about Ronnie Cox playing the Max von Sydow villain in the movie. Uh, but we have this great short role as the wife by Sharon Stone, and this is pre Basic Instinct. So Sharon Stone had was not a big star at this point, and I think this was a really great eye-opening role for people. And Verhoeven said that he cast her in Basic Instinct because he was watching her on set switch between being loving wife to annoyed, angry spy, like, (laughs) you know, within seconds. And he really just liked how she shifted between those roles so effortlessly. And he said she's she's a great actress. I I think people miss that about her because of the the role in Basic Instinct and stuff like that is that they... But she's good in Basic Instinct. She's amazing in that movie. Yeah, and she's a pretty interesting person in general. Um, she was recently on WTF, the Mark Marin podcast, and the interview was really interesting. She talked about her upbringing and stuff, and she's a, a pretty interesting person. Right, the David so. Harbour episode of WTF is really good, too. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. But, um, but yeah, so back to actors that were in Total Recall. No, I want to turn this into the David Harbour cast. <laughs> Other great performances, uh, Michael fucking Ironside as the, the villain. <laughs> the heavy. Yeah, is awesome. Yeah, he's great. He's always awesome, but when he gets to play villains, he's really good at playing scary guy. I've never well, seen him not play a villain, though. In this, in this movie, he's basically the Terminator. I mean, yeah. he's just nonstop trying to... <laughs> To kill Quaid. Yeah, and he has some really kind of awesome moments. Like, I think one of his best moments is when his the other henchman says something about him. Well, you don't like him sleeping with your with your lady. And Ironside <laughs> says, are you saying she likes it? <laughs> and that line was yeah. really delivered awesome. But here's the thing. My first experience with Michael Ironside was him playing a non-villain. Really? Yes. Um, he was in my favorite TV show as a kid. There was a miniseries called V mm-hmm. that was an uh, alien invasion show, and he played a mercenary. I mean, he wasn't like a nice guy, but he, a, yeah. he played like <laughs> the Han Solo <laughs> character of the of the piece where he was like a mercenary gunrunner guy who becomes a resistance fighter. Yep. And he's really good at it. Now, here's another Total Recall fact. His sidekick... Mickey Jones, who's known for Sons of Anarchy, actually has a brief moment in Total Recall, too, where he's sitting on the train with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So V-Nerds, take note, it's a reunion of Ham Tyler, Michael Ironside's character, and his buddy Chris from V in this movie. Mike, I think my first Michael Ironside movie was Scanners. Yeah, where he blew people up with his mind and you believed it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. You believe he could, like, actually... He was blow- capable of that. Yeah. So he's basically been balding forever. Yeah, he's been balding <laughs> forever. Yeah, even in V. And he was great on V, so I've always loved Michael Ironside. Yeah. And uh, so he was great here. Uh, a lot of the minor characters from Benny, the cab driver on Mars with the mutant... Great performance there. Yeah, great performance. I didn't really see... He was only in, like, two or three other roles, so he didn't really do much else other than that. Uh, the mutants were great. Marshall Bell, who's a that guy actor who none of us knew his name until today, who was, who we know as, you knew him as Gordy's dad in Stand By Me. Yep. I knew him as the coach from A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah, and he's been in a lot of things. I, I think I remember him more for Stand By Me. Yeah. Cause he was a big dick. Right. In that role. And, um, and, uh. And of course this role. 
I mean, who doesn't remember yeah. Quato? <laughs> where and he and so the whole scene where he reveals that he has Quato as like a mutant within his body is totally body horror. We believe that that came from a David Cronenberg draft of the script. Um, however, David Cronenberg did do uh, concept art for a Quato that was like a giant, like Jabba the Hutt type character too. with a smaller monster living inside of it. Right? Yes. Yeah. So um, I think they're kind of combining those ideas. Yeah. So uh, that was definitely an impact of of Cronenberg. Um, and I think a couple of the mutants and stuff like that. I'm assuming some of those came from the Cronenberg era of the development. Um, but Cronenberg was off. I know too that Cronenberg was offered a, uh, an EP credit, an executive producer credit, and he actually turned it down. Hmm. Um, which you know, whatever. Um, he went on to make the fly at the same time. And so we both, we win because we yeah, got the, Ver, we got the Verhoeven. Well, the, the fly was made in 87. So yes, but he draw. I mean, like it took that long for, oh, for oh you're talking about the whole yeah his, history. He dropped off of total recall and went directly to making the fly Ah, because he was going a, to make the fly. Fantastic movie. Yes. He was going to make the fly, dropped off the fly to make Total Recall, spent a year in Total Recall, and went back to the fly. If you would like to hear more about Cronenberg, check out our Croningcast. <laughs> I'm surprised. Is there a David Cronenberg podcast? There should be. There has to be, right? right? I kind of want to do Cronencast. No, no, not now. No, no, no. Maybe when we finish Dickheads. Yeah. Um, but uh, God, I'll be in my 40s by then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So... Uh, yeah, any other actors that's that kind of um stood out? Stood out to you guys? No. Uh yeah, they uh what's his name? As the cab driver. Oh yeah, Robert Picardo. Robert Picardo. Yeah, who was um the werewolf in The Howling. He was the uh cowboy in Inner Space, but I but most people know he, him as the doctor on Voyager. He was also the doctor in China Beach. Yeah. So Robert Picardo, um, they used a mold of his face for Johnny Cab and he was the voice of Johnny Cab. So kind of neat. At the time it was, he was not a big actor. So I'm sure they didn't seem like a cameo. Now looking back, it seems like a cameo. Yeah. Um, because he played, you know, a doctor on Star Trek and all that. And he was great on Star Trek Voyager, by the way. Yes. Um, yeah. He, he stood out on that show. The little bit I've seen of Voyager. Yeah. I watched all of Voyager and he was great in it. Always. Um, Picardo is a great actor. And, um, you know, Joe Dante used him again and again and again. Um, just loved him. Right. So, I mean, and he was in, started with the howling. Anyway, so that, that, yeah, that should be it for actors. Um, but I think all the performances were really good. Um, they filmed the movie in Mexico City. So that I, 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 as I noted during the, when we were watching it, I, Really liked the extras for the most part. You know, normally you're not supposed to notice extras, but I was looking specifically at them and they were actually reacting properly to the things that were happening. Yeah. And you rarely see that in, in big movies with so many extras like this. Let's give Verhoeven credit for that. Um, because yeah. that's a big directorial thing. So let's talk next about Paul Verhoeven at the time. Yes. Yes, Paul Verhoeven's career started as an art house film director in Europe. He did, uh, he was, his biggest hit was a movie called Flesh and Blood, uh, in Europe. 
Um, I haven't seen much of his art house. Fil- I've seen the he's gone back to making art house films, and I've seen some of the ones he's made recently, like L. Um, but I haven't seen the early ones. But his his entry to Hollywood was uh, a TV show on HBO called The Hitchhiker, which was like a R rated Twilight Zone. Um, it was a great show. Yeah, and he directed several episodes of The Hitchhiker. And then his first big Hollywood movie was um, RoboCop. And he had not made a science fiction movie up until this point, before he made RoboCop. So in in a lot of ways, he was kind of ratcheting up the sci-fi each time he made a sci-fi movie. Right. Because he made... RoboCop, then Total Recall, then um, what was Flesh and Blood about? You've got it up on the screen, like yeah, it's a band of medieval mercenaries take revenge on a noble lord who decides not to pay them by kidnapping the betrothed of the noble's son. There you go. Now I want to see it. Right. Um, yeah. So before, well, so he made. It, it Robo- does star Rutger Hauer. Yeah, he. And Jennifer Jason Lee, one of my favorite actresses. Yeah, maybe that was his first Hollywood movie. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. So, um, yeah, we're, I'm, now I'm going to try to track that down. Um, so, and what other movie had it, Jennifer Jason Lee and Rutger Hauer in it? We were talking about it earlier. Anthony? I don't remember. It would be The Hitcher. Oh, yes. Interesting. Yeah, The Hitcher is a great 80s horror movie. And so then he went on to do um, his next sci-fi movie was after doing – he did Basic Instinct and Showgirls and then he made um, Starship Troopers. So as far as his sci-fi goes – That's a great sci-fi trilogy right there. Yeah, it is. I I, I don't really care for Starship Troopers. Really? But it, it has Michael Ironside in it. Yeah, I love that movie. He's uh, he's great in it. Well, you have to go into Starship Troopers knowing that Verhoeven was making a fucking satire. And if yeah. you don't if you don't go into it with that kind of eye, it's not it's not the same. Which is really funny too, because in a lot of ways he's spoofing the the source material, which normally would be something I wouldn't be down for. But in the case of Heinlein's super right wing <laughs> short story, <laughs> Starship Troopers, I think it works. Yeah. Um, that's what uh, makes that movie great, in my opinion, is the satire. Right. So, uh, you know, Verhoeven, though, was still an interesting choice for Total Recall because he had never done a movie with that kind of budget um, and that kind of size. And at the time, Total Recall was the second most expensive movie ever made behind Rambo 3. And the budget was $65 million. So this was a big deal. And so they did a lot of interesting things with the direction. Verhoeven... Made some interesting choices filming it in Mexico City. Made the the sci-fi future look like something that we hadn't kind of seen before because we hadn't seen Mexico City used. Yeah. And so I think that actually worked in favor of it. And there was a lot of um, kind of future cars <laughs> and, um, in there. Future cars. Future cars. And uh, I liked, you know. Of course, it, in the story, they have uh, – they have air cars or whatever you call them. Right. So, but what, it, what, it, what I really do like about it is, is that minority report looks really slick with like CGI, you know, design. Effects. 
And even though it was a very expensive movie, Total Recall was working with practical effects throughout. And you have to understand that they filmed it in Mexico. So they're, you know, they didn't have access to, you know, a lot of the toys. And so I think for that reason, I think the movie looks really good. And I think Verhoeven did a great job on that. And I think the effects aged well for me. I'm sure someone's going to watch it and say it looks like old, goofy shit. Right. But yeah, those effects looks like look awesome to me. Plastic or rubber. Well, it was interesting because th- I think this movie was on that site, Watch Mojo's list of like top 10 worst special effects in movies. Really? And I mean, Watch Mojo don't know what the fuck they're talking no, about anyway. That's true. But I, I would dis, I think these, these effects are still really great. Just look at Benny's arm when he pulls it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or, or when he, Super or freaky. when, uh, Quaid tries to leave the leave the airport in the suit he's wearing malfunctions. Right. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so we you do see like some proto, a little bit of proto CGI, but this was a, this was almost all practical effects. Rob Botton, who is known for doing the the alien and the thing, the the special effects. Yeah, Rob, giant. Yeah, he was a special Rob effects Botton. giant, and he did an amazing job. The pep- the puppetry with Quato. Um, I read online that there were seven, or 15 to 17 puppeteers, depending on the, the scene. With Quato, the puppetry is great. Yep. And you just have to go into it, like, knowing that it was made in the 80s, basically. And, and you're not going to get picture perfect special effects, but, you know, it's, you're watching a movie from the era and you have to appreciate that. And I think the special effects were great. Verhoeven uh, brought. I would say the special effects were better in this movie than they were in Minority Report. <laughs> it was different. I yes. Mean, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, tech- technically, the special effects were better in a Minority Report. I. I. No. It, no. I'm more forgiving of the special effects in Total Recall. But you I don't think you have to be Report. forgiving of any of the special effects in Total Recall. They look awesome. Yeah. And it's not this sleek, over-computerized bullshit that's in Minority Report. Guys, I'm back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you are. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but Verhoeven brought um, a kind of satire sense to it, a comedic sense. There's, he, oh, he, he didn't take these movies super seriously. You could tell but the movies he made before this and the movies he made after this are, you know, very serious. Like the black book is like a very serious, like Holocaust. How movie. dare you say that RoboCop isn't a serious movie? <laughs> well, but you can tell that Paul Verhoeven has his tongue kind of planted in his cheek in this yeah. sci-fi trilogy. Sure. And that's But I fine. think they were meant to be taken, at least RoboCop, I think, is a more serious movie than Total Recall. But we we don't have to get into a discussion about RoboCop on a Philip K. Dick podcast. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Well, there's influences, but, you know, I, I think Verhoeven, you can't really argue that he didn't have his tongue somewhat in his cheek. I mean, some of the ways... The- I'm not arguing that, but I will argue that I don't think that Total Recall and or RoboCop are necessarily just dumb fun movies. No, no, they have serious moments and 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 the, the, there's some great yeah, there's some great moments in the scene where I forget the character's name where he tries to come back and convince Quaid that he's still dreaming and the oh, yeah. only well that's a very good dramatic yeah, scene. We'll talk about that is definitely the best scene of the movie. Do you guys agree? 
like, from a from a writing standpoint, from a storytelling a storytelling stand- standpoint, yes. yes, yes. So the scene we're talking about, there's a scene, but I really love the Quato reveal. Yeah, the yeah. Quato reveal is good too, but um, I think from a storytelling perspective, and this is we're talking about Verhoeven right now, so it, it fits. A really well directed scene that shows like that they're doing something that kind of outstretches the boundaries of a dumb side, dumb action movie is a scene where they basically set up where somebody comes from recall and basically tries to convince them, no, you're not, this is not happening. This is all fake. You're dreaming this. This isn't real. And it does a, it's a very intense moment. Arnold plays the scene great because you can tell like Arnold plays it as I'm not sure what's happening. Yeah. Right. And, you know, his wife's there and they say, no, you're just dreaming this. You're, you're sitting at recall. This, none of this is real. And it's really, got, it's got like a, a really Hitchcockian sort of ten, tension to it. Right. It's such an in, intense moment when he's got the pill in his mouth. And the, excused. and the people are just waiting for him to swallow the pill. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so they hand him a pill and they say, a red pill, and this is nine years before The Matrix. <laughs> um, they hand him a red pill and they say, like, if you take this, it'll all be over. You'll wake up, you know. And he puts the pill in his mouth and there's a very tense moment where he's kind of looking at it. <sighs> puts it in his mouth and right after he puts it in his mouth, he looks at the, the guy from Recall and he sees one bead of sweat roll down his face and he knows wait i'm not dreaming this that's real and he straight up shoots him in the head right in the head right so good yeah and that is definitely the best to me that's the best scene in the movie i never thought that was the best scene in the movie until i watched it today right and so when i was younger i don't know what i would have thought was the best scene in the movie probably something with michael ironside <laughs> um yeah when his arms get chopped off by the elevator <laughs> that was pretty good yeah. Although when his arms get chopped off of the elevator, he did not say, "Let me give you a hand." Right. I know. We, uh, yeah. But you didn't write the script, David. So <laughs> I just don't understand how Arnold didn't say that. I maybe he did, and Verhoeven over was, was like said, "No, no," because none he had that. already this, had this the, one time. <laughs> he already gave him the shooting Sharon Stone and saying, "Consider the divorce." Oh, man. <laughs> and which, by the way, like just when he was pointing the gun at him, I was already laughing, <laughs> but knowing that it was coming. But that scene with, with the sweat, that's definitely like the, 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 the best of the scenes. Yeah, the the, other, recall. And the that, other thing that scene reminds me of is the, I, I, I think it's Twilight Zone episode, the, uh, rolled doll episode where they, um, the guy has to light his lighter 10 times in a row or something like that. It has that kind of tension to it. Yeah. Very classic type type of scene. So we also thought another scene that Verhoeven just totally nailed was the reveal of Quato. Um, oh, yeah. Anthony? It's awesome. You, I was, what, what, you, want me to, you want me to talk about the reveal of Quato? We thought, okay, mean, so the, the reveal that Quato is a mutant inside the body of, Mar- of Marshall Bell... Mm-hmm. Who we've already been walking around with Marshall Bell, so the kind of the idea that Quato has been there all along and been part of the, well, and it's the built action. up. It's built up for us to believe that he is Quato. Yeah, right. So yeah. the reveal has that much more impact when you find out. Yes, it is him. 
but it's but, also totally not him. Yeah, and he lifts up the, he opens the shirt, lifts it up. Quato jumps out, puppet. It's a great special effect. Um, the mouth movement was so dead on. Yeah, I I thought that was incredible that they did that with the puppet. It must have had like five, six mechanisms just to work the mouth. Well, considering there was. 15 to 17 puppeteers. I'm sure a lot of that was just in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. So great puppeteer work. Just really good scene. Verhoeven also, you know, just did overtop with the violence. Schwarzenegger using thugs as a human shield and then like throwing <laughs> them down on the, on the escalator. Right. Was just kind of crazy and over the top and awesome. The uh, scientists trying to fight off. Arnold Schwarzenegger when they tried to reprogram him. When they shot him, they <laughs> put the shot in his leg like 40 times. Like, yeah. All that stuff was, was great. Verhoeven really embraced the idea of the 80s action movie aspect of it. And that scanner scene still is one of my favorite things in the whole, in the whole movie. You oh, know, when they put him in the, the, when the he's, machine. To, when he's running, when he's running through the, the scanner and it's, you see the uh, skeleton. It's a visual gag that totally works. Yeah. yeah. And apparently... That and, the, and the head coming off of the costume that he's wearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. Yeah. There's there's all kinds of moments in there. So, yeah. We obviously appreciated Total Recall in a way that we did not appreciate Minority Report. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So... But uh, it, still had, it still had ads all over the place. Yes. So just like Minority Report... Larry is always going to be there to count the ads. It was not nearly as overbearing as Minority Report. Right, right, exactly. But that, that's and the a, problem with, with Spielberg doing ads is that he, he does sort of draw Yeah, but Larry, don't you remember them. Spielberg didn't get paid? Oh, yeah, right. Vomit. I'm sure he lost money on that. Yeah, I'm, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, um, so one thing that's interesting is that apparently, and I read this in trivia, is that um, Pepsi is the official soft drink of Mars. And that nice. you will see Pepsi signs on Mars, but on Earth you see Coca-Cola Coke. signs. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> this yeah. is a, at the time of the, uh, you know, the Cola Wars, so. Yeah. Um, this is around the time I was there. I lived through the Cola Wars when, when Bill Cosby was introducing New Coke. Mm-hmm. Which wait, retrospect- was that a real thing? Is that a real thing that happened? The yeah. Cola Wars. The Cola Wars. Yeah. Um, and Bill Cosby was the spokesperson for Coke when they decided to to release this new formula mm-hmm. that was like they that changed the, that changed the way Coke tasted, and it was fucking garbage, and it was really bad. And so then, who was it. the representative for Pepsi? Who was well, their, their spokesperson? Well, it wasn't Harvey Weinstein, but... <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, but you know what Pepsi did? What? They, made a, they had a caffeine-free drink called Pepsi Free, which was interesting because that's an important thing because Pepsi Free only existed for two years, but it was long enough that there was a line in Back to the Future where Marty McFly orders a Pepsi Free in the 50s, and the guy says, if you want a Pepsi, you gotta pay for it, kid. And that joke is totally (laughs) lost to history now because Pepsi Pepsi Free didn't last. (laughs) Pepsi Free only lasted for two years. Wow. Yeah. So, I'm sure everyone's riveted (laughs) with our Cola Wars stuff. (laughs) Next on the Cola Wars Episode 8 of the Cola Wars. But, uh, yeah, we'll make sure to put a tag on there because maybe somebody will find us just because they want to hear. Yeah, about they the want to hear about the Cola Wars. I'm kind of really interested in this, to be quite honest with you. 
<laughs> Moving along. <laughs> well, yeah, so Total Recall. Um, yeah, the design was great. The special effects we liked. Overall, like, there isn't really anything that made me dislike the movie. Um, right. Overall, I mean, uh, <laughs> you have to look at it for its time. It's super cheesy. I think the 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 set on Mars, the section was it Sector G, Section G, yeah. kind of is pretty goofy. It looks like a Universal Studios backlot. It's very set. small, it does look a, like it's, a soundstage. Yeah, it very much <laughs> feels like a soundstage, but that's fine. It adds to the the charm of the movie for me. Yeah, I mean, but if you think about it, if you were building a colony on Mars, it's probably not going to be huge. Probably not. You're probably going to have a very small space. <laughs> But they had a, enough space to have a tattoo parlor and a uh, a porn, you know, video joint and a bar with hookers. So Larry makes a good point. Priorities apparently, right? <laughs> for your Mars colony. Well, they have lots of workers, and you and know, workers need hookers and booze. And <laughs> right. I mean, that's true because they have to mine the McGuff McGuff the yeah. <laughs> McGuffarians or. The, Whatever it is, the the McGuffite, um, <laughs> the unobtainium, the, yeah, uh, yeah, because just like every science fiction movie now, there's a McGuffite that you yeah. have to vibranium or exactly. unatta- unobtainium. unobtainium. God, I hate that movie. Yeah, and this one it was like li- librarian or something. Like I don't librarian. Like li- li- it was with an L. I don't know. Right. It, in my mind, it was just McGuffite. So, yeah. like, I didn't really pay attention to what it was actually. Called. Yeah, there was some kind of fuel or resource they needed, and in order to, they had to mine it. And if they released all the water, which would create an atmosphere on Mars, apparently that was breathable for humans. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was the other thing we forgot about that. The ancient, there was this ancient Martian storyline. Um, that, oh, yeah. That, was... that really only comes out when, during the Quado reveal in the last 20 minutes of yeah. the movie. Yeah. So there was this kind of ancient aliens thing you can, like, cue in your mind seeing the guy with the crazy hair from Aliens. Yeah. This was the least PKD part. I've never, I don't recall him ever doing, like, an ancient aliens on Mars thing. But... I, I don't either. No, because he always had, he always had Mars being a, a lush tropical place. colony. Yeah. Except for, you know, World Jones made, all the planets were shitty. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think there, that was really kind of a weird kind of throwaway thing at the end. And you had to have some kind of big, like, ticking clock down to, like, you know, you know how James Bond always has the bomb that he has to to stop at the end. And that's kind of what was going on in in the end of Total Recall with the alien storyline. That was kind of the weakest part. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was definitely the weakest part of the story. It wasn't needed. Now it was the least interesting part of the story for me. If it had all climaxed on that scene with with the video of Ronnie Cox and and Arnold like hooping it up having a party, like <laughs> high fiving, where he reve- where he reveals that he betrayed himself, which is really interesting. Yeah, and if it had ended in kind of like a big action scene with a shootout there, I think it would have been a little bit stronger. But then we wouldn't get that sweet scene where everybody falls out the out of the windows and Ronnie Cox hella dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Arnold and, and his girlfriend like uh, go right back to normal as soon as like the. There have got to be physical repercussions of going through that. 
And that's I'm telling wackadoo you guys, science. It's not, for, it's, it's not true. It's also wackadoo science to imagine that you could terraform a planet in like two minutes. Fair. Yeah, yeah. with a with an icicle. <laughs> with a glacier. Fair. So that is pretty dumb science. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a dumb 80s action movie, and we don't want to think about it too much. But um, So, final thoughts on Total Recall. I loved it. Yeah, I, I thought, uh, I love the story, and I love what they did to make the story into a movie. I agree. I think one helps the other both ways. Yeah, it makes it, it, makes it a better short story when you have the movie in your head and the... That and obviously the movie wouldn't exist without the short story. So like they both make each other better. And right. And I now here comes the big question: Is imagining PKD watching this because he took himself pretty seriously. Right? He did. He did. He took himself very seriously, and I don't know how he would handle watching this story turned into an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But here's he the thing about it: is the story itself is a is a long joke. Yeah. That he's telling. So there has to be a lighter side to Philip K. Dick, right? Yeah, that's true. And I mean, he, he wasn't trying to instill some great message with this one. And I think he would have just, at this point, there hadn't been a ton of, there had just been Blade, Blade Runner, really, and maybe, I'm not sure what else. I'm not sure what else, yeah. Yeah, so I think he probably would have just been stoked that there was another movie. Right. Uh, bringing attention to his work. And I think he probably would have tried, if he was like doing interviews or whatever, he probably would have tried to sell, you know. Yeah, I, I think he would have been publicly supportive and maybe a dec- two decades later we'd find some interview where he low-key didn't like a lot of things about it. <laughs> but I right. think he would have liked what they did with Mars. Yeah, yeah. I, think I, really I just think some of the, the goofier, mutants. like some of the goofier elements of it, you yeah. probably wouldn't have liked. True, like the ancient aliens, right? Thing kind of shoehorned in at the end. Yeah, yeah. and and I th- I do think since Dan O'Bannon and Sushit Sushit, <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong every Shushit. time. Shushit, Shushit, Uh They definitely had reached out to PKD. They had somewhat of a relationship with him, so I think they probably would have talked along the way they stayed involved as producers right up until the end and we do know that the last thing that we know is that he appreciated blade runner even though there was massive changes to that right and i just found out recently too by the way that um really scott admitted in an interview that he made a mistake of telling dick that he didn't finish the novel that he couldn't oh really yeah oh man (laughs) and so he the reason why uh, Ridley Scott hosted PKD to come see footage was to kind of try and mend bridges and say, like, hmm. you know. Well, who gives a shit about Ridley Scott now? He made Alien Covenant and Alien Prometheus, so right. no one cares. He's dead to me. Dead. <sighs> dead. Anyways. Um, Garbage. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm looking at Dan O'Bannon's uh, IMDb page. He also did the screenplay for Screamers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was not aware right. of that. I think he didn't. He also write this this kind of low budget movie called Bleeders. Um, there's Bloodbath. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but there's Bloodbath. <laughs> so he owned the. He must have owned the rights to two different PKD stories. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to his <laughs> his uh <laughs> his wife is uh, doing a lot to keep his memory alive. Maybe um, we might, I I we might I consider... won't. I, I think Dan O'Bannon, although revered and 
around guys like us who love genre is kind of an underappreciated screenwriter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, he did a lot of really smart things. And if you think about it, too, like, he adapted Life Force, and Life Force was a really, like, kind of obscure novel. But the novel was based on space vampires. Mm-hmm. Which... Sure is. Uh, hey, it's actually... Hey, that comes through in the movie. Dude, I love Life Force, so okay. I'm not hating. The first half of that novel is fantastic. The second half is kind of in, but I feel the same way about the movie. But with Life Force, but you know what would have been cool to read to do, you guys, which I can't believe I'm just thinking of it now. What is we should have reached out to Dan O'Bannon's wife to talk about him writing Total Recall. Well, we could still do that. Yeah, so. that would be cool. Yeah. Since we have Screamers coming up at some point. Oh yeah, yeah that's we're, we're going to do Screamers next, so we're doing back to back O'Bannons. Uh, so. Oh, I like it. Yeah, that was. I know there's a reason we're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think PKD would have liked this this film overall. I don't think he would have thought it was perfect, but I think he would have he would have dug this. I think he would have liked parts of it. Yeah, and then other things maybe not so much. He would have liked it better than the 2012 version, I suspect. But I can't wait till we get to the adjustment bureau because <laughs> I haven't seen it. We could do that. Well, we could do that one after streamers. So, Total Recall overall, big thumbs up. Um, yeah, how many? Um... How Mars many, mutants are you going to give it? How many Vidugia babies am I going to give it? <laughs> no, we're giving uh, Mars mutants. Mars mutants? I'm um, going to give it five. Well, Mars precog mutants. Oh, my God. This is getting too complicated. <laughs> I give it five out of five uh, Mars mutants. Wow. Five out of five Mars mutants for me, too. Wow. I would uh, give a movie like this three stars or three mutants what? normally. Uh, but there's a huge nostalgia factor here. And... Uh, it's so much fun to watch that I have to give it four Mars precog mutants. <laughs> I'm going to give it five for the simple fact that I can watch this movie like a hundred times yeah. and still be entertained by I it. I technically watched this movie twice in one day. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> to do this podcast. To do yeah. this podcast, right. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I'm going to have to give it five. As a PKD adaptation, I'd give it three out of five that but, sounds fair i'd give ad- maybe a 2.5 out of five as an adaptation really but there's not that it's bad there's just not a whole lot to work with with a short story yeah i'd give it three because it built on themes that he did elsewhere in his work so i would definitely give it three out of five for adaptation and it does it does take on all the elements that except well except for the alien well no i mean there's an alien part but it's not an alien invasion like so like that's not story. in there yeah. yeah, but you know, he did. Quaid did go to, or Quail did go to Mars and kill a major leader. Yeah, there. His name was probably Quato. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. In that sense, like I think. I don't know. I thought it was a brilliant adaptation. I I would give it a. I would give it four stars for adaptation. For adaptation. Hmm. Okay. Well, and that sounds about it for Total Recall. Um, our- well. This total recall because it was remade <laughs> and uh, and we're gonna watch for, it for reasons. We're gonna watch it, you guys. Oh, we are. It'll uh, be the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah, it'll be the first time I've ever seen it, too. Wait, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm the only one here who's seen that. I was scared away. Yeah, are you, are you happy that you've seen it? No. Oh, okay. but I feel that way about a lot of movies I watch. <laughs> oh, then you guys are in for a treat. 
Yeah, well, uh, well, once we decided we were going to watch it for this, then I purposely decided not to watch it. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll watch it the closer we get. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, me too. So what are we doing next time, David? Uh, our next episode is The Man Who Japed, which you've read and I haven't read, so why don't you give us a little preview of The Man Who Japed? So, The Man Who Japed. <clears throat> I'm starting reading it uh, as soon as I finish this big honkin' Stephen King book that I'm reading. So just to get everybody prepped, the man who japed, and assuming this Mariner edition does not lie to everyone again, much like the world Jones made. Probably does. It, yeah, and I would, be, I think it definitely does, if I remember this book correctly. Following a devastating nuclear war, the moral reclamation government took over the world and forced its citizens to live by strictly puritanical rules. No premarital sex, drunkenness, or displaying of neon signs. What a weird law. <laughs> yeah, All of which are reinforced through a constant barrage of public messages. The chief purveyor of these messages is Alan Purcell, next in line to become head of the Propaganda Bureau. But there is just one problem. A statue of the government's founder has been vandalized, and the head is hidden in Purcell's closet. In this buttoned-up society, maybe all a revolution needs is one really great prank. Wah, wah, wah. You know, I read this back cover before i read it and i thought this is gonna be dumb <laughs> but I, I if i remember correctly i kind of liked this one a little yeah. bit more than jones yeah i All can't right. i can't wait to read it so i probably have two more days of reading this new stephen king book the outsider and then i'm gonna wow. start world Jones. how many pages is that book well, four thousand stand, stand by no it'll just feel like four thousand one hundred and so oh no the uh the stephen king one you oh dick. The Stephen King one is 561 pages. 100 million billion words. Uh, Way too many. 300 of which you probably don't need. Yeah, If exactly. anyone's interested, the first 200 pages of The Outsider is very good. And then I'm not so sure now. But we'll, 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 we'll see. We'll catch us up on the next episode, David, on whether or not it was good. Yeah, because... Yeah, it sounds good. Um, well, you know... There is a podcast much like ours for Stephen King called The Losers Club, which I've been really enjoying. I've that's got, a good. That's a good title. Yeah, they. Yeah. Um, I've gotten through the stand on that podcast, um, but it's been actually you know people who might be interested in our listeners because it's a similar format. Uh, okay, dickheads, uh, please read the man who japed with us and come back next time. And Don't forget to hit us up on uh, Twitters and Facebooks and. We're on the Instagrams, Instagrams, the Twitters. We love. Oh feet. yeah, so we never have done that before, but we we can. You can find us at uh, at Dickheads Pod, right, David? On Twitter and Instagram. Yep. And, and you can find me at at Anthony T six nine seven on Instagram and Twitter, or yeah. on Facebook. Even though I'm not really on there anymore. Yeah, as I'm often. On, I'm on Twitter at uh, D Agronoff A G R A N O F F author. On Twitter, and I, if you follow us on Dickheads, you're getting all the re super relevant stuff. But of course, if you want to find out about our other works, um, David's being lazy. You can follow him on Instagram at count .agronoff. Yeah, so I'll do it for him for God's sake. Yeah, and uh, and before the next episode, I have a book being released that both these two gentlemen helped me on. Hey, I'm giving you credit. You guys were both involved in helping me finish this book and it's a book called ring of fire and it's already up for pre-sale on amazon but by the time this comes out it'll probably be for sale very soon sweet yeah. it's, larry it's not pkd um influenced at all <laughs> sorry where can people find you uh i'm usually at my house okay and, what's uh, your address 
And sometimes I go to the store. He's not so going to give up his social media. Me. Yeah. Um, I tag Larry all the time on, on – uh, He's at posts. beating my heads on Twitter. So if you oh, want yeah, to add him too. with some questions or if he said something that offended you in his analysis of, of this movie, then you can, you can add or him. Or if I've offended you on anything, feel free to – Annoy him. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably, he probably won't care if yeah. you're upset. All right. I've been Anthony Trevino. I've been David Agronoff. I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. All right. See you later, dickheads. Keep it paranoid. Yeah. Carry on being paranoid. (laughs) Yeah.